And then uh, we'll come to the passage. Our Heavenly Father, we come and thank you again uh, for your Bible. Uh, we come like the psalmist came and prayed, open my eyes, uh, Lord, that I might see wondrous things from your law. And we pray as well that you would be merciful to us and open our eyes that we might see uh, wonderful things uh, out of just this short passage. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been looking at Ephesians 5 and verses 18 to 21. Uh, last week we looked at verse 18, and do not be drunk with wine. And we covered uh, the issue of what it means, do not be drunk with wine, uh, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Um, now last week I felt, and some of you felt, and uh, you expressed to me that it maybe was not clear enough as I explained uh, what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And I've not done this in 12 years, and I'm having a try this time. I won't do it very often. I'm going to have a try again at trying to make this idea of being filled with the Spirit crystal clear, uh, because I think it's a critical thing for us as Christians. Um, and so the obvious question of our text today is, what does it mean to be filled by the Spirit? And how does speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs um, connect with being filled with the Spirit? So we'll move on and we'll get on to the next couple of verses, 19 to 20. Uh, but uh, we will touch on um, being filled with the Spirit. So the first uh, heading I'd like us to think about is come to church to be filled with the Spirit. Now such a heading sounds arrogant. It sounds legalistic, um, as if we control the spirit. But be patient with me as we work through this text and see what the text is saying. And once again, let me remind you, the text says, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. And clearly we picked up last week, it's a command. Um, it's a command to us, to the reader, to be filled with the spirit. The Ephesians were commanded to limit their drinking of alcohol, uh, but at the same time, in contrast to their drinking of alcohol, they were to be filled with the Spirit. It's an authoritative command, isn't it? Uh, God expects us to obey this command as well. Uh, the command is in the present and continuous tense, which means it's not a one-off past action. It's not a one-off ecstatic experience that we're looking for. Being filled with the Spirit is not this ecstatic single moment in our lives. It's a present and it's a continuous activity. It is something that happens constantly and continually and repeatedly in our lives. In fact, it now becomes the pattern of a Christian's life. God awakens us by the Spirit... He makes us alive, and now he expects us to go on continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. The command is in the passive voice, which means Paul is not instructing you to fill yourself up. In fact, he's saying possibly what Stott says, let the Holy Spirit fill you. Um, he's asking you not uh, to... Basically, search the Bible to discover techniques on how you do the filling up yourself. 
No, on the constantly, what he's, uh, uh, in, the, in total contrast, what he's saying is you need to be open to the Spirit's influence. You need to remove every hindrance in your life from the Spirit's influence. You need to find a way to have not just the Spirit's influence, but the Spirit's control over the way you live and think and speak and so on. And so we turn away from activities that will grieve the Spirit, and we enter into activities where the Holy Spirit will operate. We want to see where He operates so that He can exert an influence over us. Now what kind of activities are these? Uh, well, last week I proposed that the next few verses actually give us a guide. Not a comprehensive list, but a guide. Uh, look at verses 19 to 21 with me. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to, the, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So I put it to you that as you engage in singing, as you engage in speaking, uh, as you engage in giving thanks, and submitting to one another, you will find the Spirit mediate, or the Spirit will bring to you uh, the goodness and the fullness of God. Uh, the Spirit doesn't act for himself and for his own interest, no. Uh, when he acts, he will draw your attention to the full Godhead, the whole Trinity. Uh, and this fits perfectly, really, with all of Ephesians 5. If you've been with us for the last month or so, you've been studying Ephesians 5, and you'll find it's really a similar vein in what he's been saying. So, for instance, from verse 1 he said, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us. We're told to walk in love just as Christ uh, loved us. Uh, we're told uh, in verse 8 to walk as children of light. In verses 15 and 16, see then that you walk circumspectly or carefully, not as fools, but as wise. And then in verse 17, uh, we are told, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Uh, and so these activities that we've been told in Ephesians 5, walking as Christ, walking as children of light, uh, walking as wise, understanding the will of the God, uh, will of God. Well, well, they're all consistent with being filled with the Spirit. They're all describing our walk. They're all describing our state of existence. They're not describing something that was a one-off experience. They're saying that this is different ways to look at your everyday life. They're all to complement one another. And not only does being filled with the Spirit fit in with what Paul has said in Ephesians 5, it also agrees with his parallel letter in Colossians. Uh, if you turn in Colossians for me, and Colossians, I'll tell you the page number. It's after Ephesians and after Philippians. It's hard to look at. And it's page 1,600 and... 89 
and you're looking at Colossians, please turn with me. I don't normally do this, I normally just read it out. But I'd like you to turn with me to see how the parallel letter actually says the same things as Ephesians. Keep your thumb if possible um, in Ephesians. Now Paul doesn't use the words be filled with the Spirit. But look at Colossians 3 and verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. And then notice what he says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And surely you would have noticed the words are exactly the same. Did you notice the word psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? Did you notice the giving of thanks to God the Father through him? But there's this one big difference there, isn't there? In Ephesians he says, let the Holy Spirit fill you. But in Colossians he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You, you see to Paul, he's speaking about the same thing. Uh, he's saying that when you're speaking about the Spirit filling you, it's no different to the Word of God dwelling in you richly. Um, they're so closely connected. If you want to let the Word of God dwell in you richly, it's not just coming to hear the Bible read. It's not just reading the Bible. It's not even just studying and understanding the Bible. It is actually hearing the Bible and actually learning it and then doing it. Um, to do this, you cannot just do what the Bible teaches you without the Spirit. You cannot do it without the help of God's Spirit. And so filling or letting dwell, if you looked at Colossians again or if you looked at Ephesians, they were not in the context of doing this on your own. No, they were group activity. Did you pick that up? And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. And then he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so it's a group activity. Filling is done within the body of believers. Uh, singing to one another is obviously a community activity. And giving of thanks is something we should do together. We come together and give thanks to God together. And then submitting one another, well, try and doing that in a closet. Uh, you can't do it. It's all church activity. Uh, in summary, folks, come to church. And you will find uh, this is where God does the filling of the spirit of his people. Let, this is where the word of God will dwell in you richly. It is in the life of a local church. Of course you can do it at home. But start in a church. And then you'll find it will filter into your home. And then you will find it will filter into your workplace. And you'll find it will get into the school, into the factory, into your community. But start in the church. Our mindset is such that we say, wait till I fix everything up at home, and then I'll come to church. Folks, that's works. Um, what God would prefer is you come with all your mess to church. And he, through his word, and the working of the Spirit will fix you up, 
to actually go and live life in the world. So in the first place, come to church to be filled with the Spirit. The second place we pick up is we must sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Um, now last week again, filling of the Spirit was uh, something quite different in the Old Testament. The Old Testament never thought of it as an individual activity. They thought of it as something that happened in the temple when God's people gathered together for worship. And by way of example, we looked at Solomon. When Solomon had finished his temple and God's people came to worship him, um, we saw that fire came down from heaven. All the sacrifices that were laid there ready to be burnt, they were automatically burnt by the fire of God. And verse 2 says, And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Uh, you see, the filling of the Spirit came to the temple, to the gathered worship. In the New Testament, Paul call, calls the church in 1 Corinthians. He calls the, one Corinth, the current church, he says this, Do you know that you are the temple of God, that, God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And then Jesus himself, in his own words, when speaking of the church, what does he say? He says, where two or three are gathered together in my name. He's not speaking about two Christians catching up in a cafe. He's speaking about the church. When they are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Uh, you see, when we come together as church, we're not just coming for social reasons alone. We gather to worship God. A church service is a public, it's a visible expression that God is with us and that we dwell with him. God's people come out of their homes and they come into a building like this or something else and what are they expressing? Well, they're expressing that we are submitting to God. He is the king and we've come to hear his voice. And when Jesus says, whenever two or three gather in my name. There I am in the midst of them. How can he be in the midst of every church who meet at the same time at 10.30? Well, it's because he's everywhere. And we know God is everywhere. We know Jesus is everywhere. We call that the omnipresence of God. But here when he says, I am in the midst of them, he's not speaking about this omnipresence, that he can be everywhere. Yes, he can be everywhere. He's speaking of his special presence. He's especially present with his people when they come together. Uh, so when we gather as a church, when we come together as a church, we have to grasp the fact that something special happens, not because of you, not because of me, but because Christ is in our midst. And when we gather as a church, how does God meet with us? How does Jesus have dealings with us? How are God's people filled with the Spirit? Well, I'd suggest we go back to Colossians and Ephesians again to get a sense of this. Look at Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Or look at Ephesians 5.18 now. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Uh, surely what Paul is saying is the Spirit is operating when you have the Bible read. 
in church. The Holy Spirit is operating even when I am trying to explain the Bible to you simply. And then God is actually meeting with us as we sing to one another. As we sing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs that are based on God's word, God's spirit is here doing a work. And so singing in church is important. There are some people who will tell you it's not important. All that's needed is an explanation of the Bible. Uh, folks, no. In our singing, Paul clearly says we teach and admonish one another. When we sing to the Lord, we are actually experiencing the influence of the Spirit, the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. Paul says this, he says, Singing should be making melody in your heart to the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, well, singing is not just words. It's not just noises expelled out of my mouth. It's not just tunes that are resonating with my ears. No, my heart is engaged. My mind is employed. And I'm thinking about it and with, ex with joyful expression. I am so excited I am in relationship with God, that God is here, that I am with him and he is with me. We've been studying Deuteronomy in the evening Bible studies and the morning Bible studies. And do you remember the time the people come to Mount Sinai and Moses has to go up to the mountain and God comes to meet with the people and it's fiery, it's loud, it's scary... And Moses reminds God's people in Deuteronomy, they're just about to go into the promised land. He says, remember 40 years ago, that scary time when God came onto the mountain? Do you remember how his glory and his greatness frightened the life out of all of you? Uh, he says, this is what you said when you saw the greatness of God. You said this, we have seen this day that God speaks with man. And yet... Man still lives. Uh, how amazing. Folks, this is what worship is here today. God speaking, not me speaking, but when the Bible is read, when the Bible is explained, it, it is God speaking to man. And yet man lives. I think we take our worship for granted. We lose perspective of what is happening here. We sometimes think we're just here to catch up with people. We're just here to come and say, how is God going to inspire me today? How is he going to tell me I'm a nice person and that I've got potential? Uh, folks, if we really understood what God is doing here, we would be excited about worship. We would be encouraged. We would be joyful. Not the happy, clappy joyful. But it would be a settled contentment with the fact that we are the people of God. And if we were hungry and if we were ambitious, it would only be to meet with God again. So when the Bible is read in the morning service, pay attention. Follow with your own Bible. God is speaking to you. When I am preaching, my job is to explain the Bible. And why do I do this? Well, because I want the word of Christ to dwell in you richly and so my job is not to just explain it but explain it so that you can have some clues on how to use it and put it into your life's practice when I hear you singing 
as I did this morning, well, you're teaching and admonishing me. Uh, I can tell you sometimes, I, I see the guy who's leading the service, and straight after you finish singing, he says, oh, that was very good. He was pretty excited, I could see that, and I could think to myself straight away, that's this verse. That's why he's so excited, because he's heard the people of God telling him about the goodness of God. So sing with all your heart. Um, through our singing, the Holy Spirit stimulates our minds. He enlightens our consciences. He sharpens the very inner being. And He convicts us, He encourages us, He teaches us, He comforts us. We can go on and on and on. Uh, we do not sing because it is some tradition that our families passed on to us. Uh, it's not an old Christian thing that we do which is a bit quirky. We do it because it's a command. We find it here in Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians 3. Now Isaac Watts, he was born in 1674. He was born into a family of dissenters, which means he was not born in, the ch in a family that went to a Church of England church. His father loved study. Uh, his mum was a caring and loving mum. In his early years, he was a kid that loved study as well. And so by the time he was in his mid-teens, he learned how to speak Latin, Greek, Hebrew and French. I don't think he played cricket. He started writing hymns really by accident. Uh, so one day he was in church and he heard them singing and he complained that it was dull and it was not encouraging at all. And his dad said, stop complaining, go and write a psalm or a hymn. Watts, though, studied more and more and eventually became a preacher at the age of about 24. He became a pastor soon after and he pastored a church, once again, not in the Church of England, but in London. And by the time he died, now you've got to remember in London, 90% of the churches are Church of England. By the time he died, he was known as the best preacher in London. Now, we, however, don't know him as that. Uh, how do we know Isaac Watts? Well, we know him as probably the most prolific hymn writer in any hymn book you'll find in the Christian church. Watts started by writing, really, psalms. He took the psalms, as we sang today, do you? I don't know if you remember, Psalm 95 was written by Isaac Watts. And he noticed that the psalms were really the guiding hymn book of the church. And he took the psalms, and he read them, and as he studied them, he said, hang on a minute, these psalms are speaking of something that's already been accomplished in Jesus. And so what he did was he took the words of the psalm, just like we found today, and he put in New Testament language that actually spoke of things accomplished into the psalms. And then for the tunes, he metricized the tunes. In other words, he made them a standard beat. So everybody could sing together. Um, you see, what he had grown up in was psalms being chanted. They were often sung from the front by a choir. Uh, and he had picked up from our text today that we have to sing to one another and there has to be congregational singing. And so he metricized the tunes so that we could sing them. Um, 
He included Jesus' name in many of the Psalms because the Psalms very clearly spoke about Jesus. And Hebrews 13 says this, it says, Therefore by him, by Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And when he said that, he said, oh, I've got to give thanks to his name. He said, I'm not going to be ashamed about singing about Jesus, singing to Jesus. Uh, and so he basically put the name of Jesus into these psalms. And it so excited him. Because there was no other name by which we could be saved. There's no other name that deserves more glory. And he came up with these little and very simple observations and implications that come from the scriptures. I have no time to cover them all. But suffice to say, Isaac Watts tried to make sure scripture guided every line of every hymn that he wrote. Uh, he made them in the language of the common man. So people could sing them and they could understand. And he picked tunes that everyone could sing one to another. Horton records that in one year he sold 60,000 hymns. You see, why did he sell so many? Because God's people love to sing. They love to sing to Jesus. They love to sing about Jesus. They love to sing to one another. In the second place, we must sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And in the third place, we must give thanks to the Lord. Now, I'm going to stretch your, try and stretch your minds a little bit if you haven't been totally blasted away by the morning Bible study. Um, but we're going to think through what it means to be filled with the Spirit a little bit longer. Verse 18, as I said, is a present continuous. It's a state of life. It's a way of walking. Uh, it's something you do and something you're always doing. It's not a single ecstatic experience. It's a walk. Uh, the command is passive. In other words, we have to let God fill us with his Holy Spirit. We're not given techniques on how to fill ourselves. And the command is a command of contrast. It's in the context of a contrast. Do not get drunk, but be filled. Um, in light of this, we need to be really careful. And I said this morning, there are some who will tell you the Holy Spirit is more like a liquid, a fluid. And so what we need is like a top-up, a fill-up, a bit like my car. I need to fill up my car after I've used all the fuel. Um, and so I need this top up because my levels are getting low. And we studied last week that Jesus actually said no. That actually he comes and dwells with us. We actually have the fullness of God in one sense with us already. Um, and, and so when we come to these verses um, and we're looking at what it means to be filled with the Spirit, it's this idea of being open to having the Spirit control us. <coughs> to dominate us, to rule and conquer us. And so when we come to verses 19 to 21, they're slightly hard to understand. And let me read 19, to 21, 19 and 20 again, and just listen. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And you've got to ask yourself about these verses. Is Paul saying we will be filled with the Spirit because and when we sing and when we speak to one another and when we give thanks and when we submit to one another? Or is he saying because you've been filled by the Spirit, because God has already been working in you, um, you will start singing and you will start giving thanks and you will start submitting. Peter O'Brien says this. He says the Greek is actually ambiguous. You can't be sure whether it's a participle that's connected to a command. In other words, you're being told, sing, and as you are singing, read the Bible, and as you are reading, the Spirit will control you. And you can't be sure if it's because of God's work you will start reading the Bible, and you will start singing, and you will start giving thanks. He says it's not clear. He then goes further, he says, I lean more towards the fact that it's a consequence. It's not a command. In other words, because I have been filled with the Spirit, I will sing and I will give thanks and I will be submissive to others. Um, well, if you look at other commentators, uh, they agree with O'Brien in that. They say being filled with the Spirit is being open to the influence of the Spirit. They agree that being filled with the Spirit means letting the Word of God dwell in you richly. Uh, they agree with all of that. And so after that they say, well, what happens is the result is that you will sing psalms. You will sing hymns. You will sing spiritual songs. You will give thanks, etc., etc. And so what they're saying is a Spirit-filled life gives thanks. If you want to know if you've got the Spirit controlling you, you are someone who's going to constantly give thanks. Um, you will thank God the Father, always in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a mark of a Christian. And so, you will also joyfully sing psalms and hymns. This is also a mark of a Christian. This is what Christians do. And you will do it in a church, in a church community, because it's in the plural. You want to know, are you filled with the Spirit? Well, you will want to sing and you will want to give thanks with your church. Um, and then you might be asking yourself about thanks. When should you give thanks? Um, well, he makes it clear. He says you should give thanks always and for all things. You see, Christians will give thanks when something good happens to them. And Christians will give thanks when they encounter the most painful of experiences. Christians will acknowledge that God is watching over them. Christians will know that Jesus is always with them, even to the ends of the earth. A Christian affirms that God has their best interest at heart. In every circumstance, a Christian will give thanks. A Christian's testimony, just as like at Doreen's funeral, they will say as all things work together for the good, for those who love the Lord. You, you see, that is what someone who is filled with the Spirit says. This is what they do. They give thanks. So I think it's correct to see verse 19 as a result or a consequence of verse 18. Uh, being filled with the Spirit produces joyful singing and it also produces thankfulness. But can I put something in your mind just to mess with you a little bit before I close off?
Can I put it to you that giving thanks will also transform you into the image of Christ? It will be a means by which God will fill you with the Spirit. You know the song, count your blessings, name them one by one. Uh, the song goes on to say, it will surprise you what the Lord has done. You see, giving thanks to God for all the things he has done for you will drive away discontentment. You, you will stop being a whinger. Uh, discouragements will flee. Your, your fears of all what might happen in the future uh, will be so reduced because of how God has cared for you in the past. Grace and mercy that you observe that God has extended to you in your life will outshine every single pain. I don't know if you know the story of William Cooper. William Cooper struggled with depression. He was discouraged at some of the smallest things in his life. There were times he could not get out of his house. He could not get out of his bed. He was so down. He, he writes these words. He says, You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. And then he goes on. He says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Uh, folks, can I give you Biblical Counseling 101? Uh, whenever someone comes to me to complain, whether it be about the government or whether it be about someone else, the first thing that comes to mind is have you given thanks to God for your problem? Uh, it's the best counsel I can give. I don't think I give this counsel enough. I fail in this a lot. But, but do you thank God for your ill health? Do you thank God for your bullying boss? Do you thank God for your singleness or your crying child? Do you thank God for your disrespectful wife? And do you thank God for your unloving husband? You see, when you give thanks uh, for, to God for all things, when you give thanks to God always, you're instantly saying God's sovereign. You're saying he's the first cause in every consequence. Why is my life the way it is? Well, God is the first cause. And we recognize his generous wisdom and his kindness to us. Our Heavenly Father brings the very best to his children. And no matter how painful life is today, we must honor him and we must thank him always for all things. Folks, when we give thanks to God for all things, whinging is soon replaced by worship. Uh, and when we give thanks to God, we open ourselves to the influence and the control of the Holy Spirit. We must give thanks to God. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you again uh, for your word. We thank you again for your Holy Spirit. 
And we once again come and ask that you would help us to be open. We ask for the Holy Spirit's presence to help us to let the Word of God dwell richly in our lives. We ask for the Holy Spirit to help us with our singing of songs and psalms uh, and hymns. And Lord, even as we come now to sing, uh, we pray that he would be with us. And we thank you again for him. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we close...